little dose of nature is, uh, is another video clip that we'll just look at now. And I, yeah, I encourage you, don't just observe worship. This is uh, one of my all-time favourites. Thanks, Lee.
How can I say there is no God when all around creation calls? Creation just shouts, look what our God has done. Romans 1.20 puts it really well. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Hey, Mark. I hope you've been inspired by our incredible God. The creator of the universe is here and he's not hidden. He's revealed himself. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, we just want you to receive all of the glory that you deserve. That your people will be inspired and encouraged to tell the world what you've done. Thank you that you're here with us. So I'm now launching into a role that's a little bit different from what you uh, normally see me doing up here. I'll give you the short version of the backstory. I mentioned last week that this message has been two years in the making. Well, it's actually a bit longer than that, about five times longer. I've been running a course called Creation, Evolution and the Bible for, for nearly 10 years now. And in September 2016, I was approached by an organization called Creation Ministries International and asked if I would consider training to become a speaker for them. They have three speakers who operate around the North Island, but they don't have anyone in the South Island, so they'd like to have some coverage down here. So the last two years had been spent uh, drafting a talk, submitting it, redrafting it, uh, submitting it, tweaking it, filming it, submitting it, accepting criticism, cutting bits out, adding bits in, practicing it endlessly, and continuing to tweak it. I'm not accredited yet. (laughs) but they've decided to let me loose on you lot. (laughs) You'll be grateful you were here today when I'm famous. (laughs) I want to publicly acknowledge uh, my wife, Linda, and her support and sacrifice. She has been a worship leader widow for nearly 20 years. Not many of you will fully understand what that involves then the course, and now this, which involves me disappearing off to the computer, uh, computer room for literally hundreds of hours. So thank you. I couldn't do without what I do without your support. Okay, are you ready to go? You're strapped in. As I said before, I'm representing a global organization called Creation Ministries International, which exists to build the faith of Christians, to give them confidence in the Bible and to encourage them in sharing their faith with others. We describe this as arming God's army. And we focus on the book of Genesis at the beginning of the Bible because that's the book most under attack by those seeking to discredit the Bible. The greatest weapon in that attack has been the theory of evolution. So the three things I really want to cover today. Firstly, I want to look at why this, this issue really does matter. Secondly, we'll look at some evidence supporting the creation account. And thirdly, we'll look at what we can do to make a difference. Now, up front, a warning. This talk is not intended just to tickle your ears or stimulate you intellectually. It is intended to result in change, in action. You have been warned. (laughs) A little bit about me. In case you haven't guessed it already, um, I'm completely convinced that creation of the universe occurred exactly as described in the Bible, and I found the evidence in support of this to be absolutely overwhelming. But I'm very aware that it took me some time to get to that position. And um, 
I know that not everyone here will hold the same view right now, but we're all on a journey. For me, though, it was really exciting when I began to discover that science had not disproved the Bible and, in fact, supports what's in it. All it took was access to good information and time to process and to digest it. So I want to encourage you to keep investigating, keep learning, keep questioning. That doesn't indicate a lack of faith. It's actually very healthy. And there's no shortage of useful information available. There's a variety of resources available today out in the cafe there. They are there to equip you, your family, your friends in this important issue. Creation Ministries is a not-for-profit ministry. It's primarily donations funded. And we want these resources to be as accessible as possible. Now, I really love science, but I'm not a scientist. I don't have any scientific qualifications beyond year 13 physics or chemistry. But what I've found is that you don't need to be a scientist to understand this issue. You just need to be equipped with the information. What I have been doing with my life is the maintenance of big airplanes, uh, specifically jet engines, as an aircraft engineer for about 38 years, and flying small ones as a hobby for a bit less than that. Now, flying is an incredible privilege allowed me to do some really fun things like this. Stalling an aircraft is a bit different to stalling a car. It can result in a spin, which some passengers find unnerving because you end up pointing straight at the ground going round and round. <laughs> but it's perfectly safe if carried out at altitude. <laughs> that was on purpose, by the way. Now, flying comes with a warning. It's highly addictive. My wife will tell you that I spend way too much time looking skyward and wishing I was up there. But up there isn't always a good place to be. There is a truism in aviation that says it's better to be down here wishing you were up there than to be up there wishing you were down here. <laughs> it's very true. And the chances are, if you find yourself up there wishing you were down here, it's because of something you didn't do or you didn't know before you even took off. It's highly likely that you weren't fully prepared or equipped in some way. Now, the same is true for all of us here today. We need to be prepared and equipped ahead of time. We all have conversations, or, or we should do, where we talk to people about Christianity and the Bible. How do you go when you're in that position? The Apostle Peter in the Bible has some advice for us in this regard. He tells us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. In 1 Peter 3.15, how well prepared are you? What will you say when your teenager comes home and says, we learned all about evolution at school today and how it works? Or your workmate says, how can you deny evolution? The fossils, the fossils prove it. Or what if your neighbour says, how can there be a God when there's so much suffering in the world? Will you stammer something unconvincing and wish you were down there, not up here? Or will you respond intelligently and confidently? These are great opportunities to have a real impact in someone's life. And I want to tell you that it's possible to give solid answers that make sense, that cause non-Christian people to think, maybe it's not all myth and wishful thinking after all. Maybe I should find out more. All you need is to get your hands on the right information, and you'll find that there are sensible answers to virtually every question or objection. So, the first reason that this matters is that we need to be prepared for conversations around this topic, able to defend our faith. And that's not just so that we can feel more confident, so that we can be fruitful and effective. We're surrounded by lost people in desperate need of help and direction. Yep. The second reason that this discussion matters is that the Bible 
is under attack. The theory of evolution is the greatest, most successful attack on the Bible there has ever been. And we read daily about the tragic results of abandoning the biblical worldview. Some, even in the church, think that the creation-evolution debate's a sideshow. It's not worth focusing on. But I want to tell you that for those outside the church looking in, it's not a side issue at all, and it is very much what they're focused on. Evolution is the greatest reason given by people outside the church why they don't believe the Bible. And you may be surprised to learn that this issue affects the core message of the Bible, salvation, Jesus' death on the cross. So this is not a side issue. Another reason why this is important, I have a question for you. Where did you come from? It's really important that you know where you came from. I'm not talking about your home address, I'm talking about how did we as humans get here? And why is this important? Well, I would suggest to you that when you boil it all down, there are three really big questions that we all face regarding our time on this planet. The ultimate questions of life, if you like. Question number one, where did I come from? What's my origin? Question number two, why am I here? What's my purpose in life? Question number three, where am I going next? What happens when I die? And I also want to suggest to you that the answers to questions two and three depend entirely on how you answer question one. If life started randomly and we evolved with no creator, then your time on this planet has no meaning, no ultimate purpose. And when you die, that's it, end of story, Job done. Not very encouraging, is it? Our children are taught this worldview, and then we wonder why the youth suicide rate is so high. In my opinion, it's, it's tragic, but unsurprising. Ideas have consequences, and bad ideas have bad consequences. I found the following tongue-in-cheek definition. Life, a sexually transmitted disease which always ends in death, there is currently no known cure. <laughs> so arguably, the question, where did I come from, is the most important question that we can ask. A little girl was facing this question, so she asked her father, where did the human race come from? Her father answered, God made Adam and Eve, they had children, their children had children, and all humans are descended from them. Two days later, the little girl asked her mother the same question. And her mother answered, many years ago, the human race evolved from monkeys. The poor, confused girl returned to her father and said, Dad, I don't get it. You told me that God created the human race, and Mum says we evolved from monkeys. Well, the father very wisely answered, Well, dear, it's quite simple. I told you about my side of the family, and your mother told you about hers. <laughs> but hopefully, you can see that our answer to the question, where did I come from, does matter. In case you're still not convinced that this issue matters, I have some very sobering information for you regarding our young people going off to university. You need to understand that university is far from neutral. Virtually every subject is toxic to Christianity. Australian Students for Christ chaplain Craig Tasker noted, creation is a vital subject at uni. Since the institution's philosophy of education is secular humanism, Thus, students are bombarded with it in every lecture as the basic assumption. This constant brainwashing destroys the faith of many Christians each year. He says, our surveys indicate that 80% of first-year students believe in a God who is there. By their second year, only 15% believe in God. 
Fallout is a powerful DVD that's available here today in which uni students were interviewed about the teaching they received as a young person. Every single student who said they were raised in the church but no longer attends church said they now believed evolution to be a scientific fact. Interviews showed clearly that the majority of young people not exposed to creation teaching in their youth now embrace evolution and no longer attend church. Yet, listen to this, every student spoken to who was equipped with answers as a young person still retains their Christian convictions in spite of the evolutionary teaching they received in higher education. Better still, every single student spoken to who affirmed biblical creation still attends church regularly. It's a powerful DVD. I'll tell you later on how you can get a free copy. <laughs> so, having established that this issue is important, how can we get prepared to respond to questions and challenges? How can we equip our families? I have great news for you. It is so easy these days. There's so much good information available. Probably the easiest way is to get the free InfoBytes email newsletter produced by Creation Ministries. These regular emails keep you right up to date with the latest information, news, articles, resources. Now, when I say that it's free, in the original Hebrew, that means you don't pay anything at all. And InfoBytes is not limited just to science-related topics, but addresses all sorts of recent news and topical issues. It's a great resource that costs you nothing. And if you decide later on that you don't want to receive it, simply unsubscribe. So... If you'd like a regular supply of encouraging articles and biblical perspectives on the latest discoveries, just add your details to the sign-up sheet that's going to circulate now. If you can add your postcode, that helps us to tailor the information for your particular area, and your phone number helps if the email address is illegible. <laughs> it's that easy. You're on the journey. You're getting equipped to make a difference. The other free resource is the Creation Ministries website. Now, the web address could not be much easier to remember. It's creation.com. And at creation.com, the amount of information you'll find is staggering. There's around 10,000 articles covering everything imaginable on the creation-evolution debate, as well as many articles uh, supporting the Bible as God's word. Around 700 video clips, many as short as a minute long, and a new front-page article every day, Monday through Saturday. A teenage schoolgirl found she never had answers to her questions, but after finding our website, she says, I was surprised to find the answers to the questions I had been asking for over 10 years and literally the first day I was at your site. It helped me realise that true faith and intelligence aren't mutually exclusive. A few months later, I became a Christian. How awesome is that? It's the power of being informed. If you remember nothing else today, take away these 12 letters creation.com and you'll have free access to masses of helpful information. Now, just so that we're clear on what we're talking about today, I'm going to define the two histories that claim to tell us how we got to where we are now. First up, the predominant view popularised in almost all media and educational systems tells us that it all started with a large bang where nothing exploded and became everything. The earth, the universe and all things came into their present form by a slow and gradual process of self-transformation with no designer or creator. Life originated spontaneously and life forms gradually progressed from simple single-celled organisms to increasingly complex animals, culminating in you. 
Death and suffering have always been part of the process of biological improvement, according to this view. On the other hand, according to the Bible, the universe was brought into being by God as a one-off supernatural process resulting in a functioning, complete and balanced whole. Creation was initially very good or perfect with no disease, pain, suffering or death. God created plants, animals, people able to reproduce only within their own kind. Humans were designed with purpose and created fully formed, intelligent and creative. After the fall where Adam and Eve rejected the only restriction they were given by God, the whole of creation was judged. Sin, death, disease and suffering entered the picture for the first time. Since then, the whole universe has been winding down or descending into a state of increasing disorder. Then, as a result of the sinfulness of people, God judged the planet with a global flood which destroyed all land-dwelling vertebrate animals and people except for those on board a ship the size of an ocean liner built by Noah. Later, when the descendants of the ark survivors refused God's instruction to spread out and repopulate the whole earth, God introduced different languages among them, which forced them to move away from each other at the Tower of Babel. Now, if I could digress for a second, regarding Noah's ark, please purge your mind of any of the cartoon-style caricatures of the ark that help reinforce that the whole story is impractical and a myth, and replace them with a biblically accurate image of an enormous vessel over 130 metres long with a capacity of over 43,000 cubic metres, equivalent of 522 railroad wagons, more than capable of carrying the required number of animals and actually shown to be an extremely stable design in rough seas. We've got a scale model here this morning that we'll pass around that you can have a look at. just gives you some idea of the, the sort of dimensions and, and the size. So we've defined the two competing histories and you'll note that one of the most obvious differences between them is the time frames. Evolutionary history is completely harnessed to huge time frames and requires gradual change over millions of years. The biblical time frame, on the other hand, is much shorter. The book of Genesis tells us that God completed all his work of creating in six days, six earth rotation days. Now, of course, if he is who he says he is, he could have done it in six seconds or instantly. But he chose to do it over six days. The writer of Genesis makes this crystal clear and really leaves no room for any alternative time frame. Six normal days also make sense of Genesis as the basis for our working week as described in Exodus 20. World history can be fairly easily calculated by genealogies to give around 1,650 years from creation until the global flood of Noah's time and about 4,500 years since then. Now, before we take a look at some evidence, I need to explain a couple of things about science. Not all science is equally scientific. Many, many believe that all science is just dealing with objective facts, but that's not always the case. To help illustrate this, we can split science into two broad categories. Firstly, we have operational or experimental science. This is repeatable, measurable, or well-defined laws that accurately predict outcomes. There's not much debate about this type of science. It's the sort of science that builds cell phones and microwave ovens and sends rockets to the moon. Generally speaking, this sort of science provides us with lots of beneficial technologies and leads people to respect what scientists say. On the other hand, we have historical or forensic science. Now, this deals with the past. 
It's not really repeatable or measurable because we weren't there. We can't repeat the Big Bang as an experiment. We can't repeat the spontaneous origin of life. We don't know the exact conditions or environment. We should remember what God said to Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth in Job 38? Some evidence will be available to us today, but this will be interpreted by a human. Both evolution and creation fall into this second category. So to reiterate, operational science deals with the present, it's observable, it's repeatable, and historical science, which is what we're discussing today, deals with the past, it's not observable or repeatable. And this is an important distinction to make. This is where worldviews really come into play, and this explains why there can be such different explanations for the same evidence. Both evolutionists and creationists are observing exactly the same evidence, but coming to very different conclusions because of their worldviews. One more thing about science. Science is investigative by nature. Ideas change as we learn more. This isn't necessarily a bad thing. This is how it should be. But God's word doesn't change. It never has, it never will. And it doesn't need to change because it's true. So never be tempted to place scientific thought above God's word. So, as promised, let's have a look at some evidence. Firstly, is there much evidence for the origin and diversity of life? Well, evolution and creation both make big claims. Both would have had a huge impact on the earth, and we would expect there to be masses of evidence to s available to support the correct history. And there is. There is so much scientific evidence supporting the creation account. And the creation ministry's resources are full of hundreds of examples. The number and breadth is increasing all the time. This is an exciting time to be a Christian. We have no excuse for being uninformed. So we're going to have a quick look at just a few examples. First up, fossils. Now, fossils are presented as evidence for evolution. But actually, fossils give fantastic support to the Bible's history. Let's have a quick look at how fossils are formed. Now, the story that we've probably all been told, and you'll find this with a quick Google search, is that an animal dies in or ends up in a body of water where it sinks to the bottom and it's gradually covered by layers of sediment over long periods of time. Eventually, it becomes a fossil, which may be discovered when the sedimentary rock erodes away. Sound reasonable? It does. Until you think about what happens in real life. In real life, a dead animal in a marine environment doesn't just sit there untouched for years while sediment gradually covers it up. It's immediately set upon by the local carnival club who tear it apart and scatter the remains. It certainly does not remain in one piece long enough for sediment to cover it. Recent experiments have shown that even in the absence of predators, a body in water will disintegrate rather than remaining in one piece. In reality, the only way to create a fossil is complete and rapid burial of a dead animal, excluding oxygen and preventing carnivores from making a meal of it. <laughs> now, millions of fossils have been found all over the globe in rock laid down by water. What sort of event could account for the rapid and complete burial of millions of animals all over the earth? It's not a trick question. Relax. <laughs> the glo global flood of Noah's day provides the ideal explanation for what we find. Now, understand this about Noah's flood. This was not just a benign raising of water levels after a lot of rain. This was an incredibly violent and catastrophic event 
there would have been tectonic and volcanic activity on a huge scale. The whole surface of the earth was reshaped. There would have been sediment flows on a massive scale all over the earth, well able to drown, bury and fossilise millions of animals. Other pieces of evidence that support this explanation of drowning and rapid burial are fossils that appear like a snapshot in time, showing animals eating or giving birth. That's not something you would expect from a slow and gradual process. Also of interest is the arched back posture of many fossils that we now know as evidence of death by drowning. And we have a real fossil to uh, pass around this morning for you to have a look at. This is uh, a Phacops trilobite, which is an extinct marine arthropod. The uh, detailed preservation on this fossil is evidence that it was rapidly buried before scavengers could munch on it. I would disagree with the age given for it of four and, um, 405 million years. It was very likely fossilised during Noah's flood about four and a half thousand years ago. So this morning, you can touch something that was very likely to be walking around as Noah loaded up the ark. There are many other ways in which the fossil record supports the Bible's version of events. Next, we're going to have a look at uh, genetics and mutations in particular. This is another area where the two histories are completely opposed. The ev in the evolutionary version, we have evolved uphill from simple life forms to more complex via many very small steps over enormous time periods. So we are supposedly getting better over time. The Bible, however, indicates that at the very beginning, Adam and Eve were genetically pure. After they disobeyed God and the whole of creation was cursed, mutations began to increase to the point where now 100... Around 100 additional new mutations are added per person every generation. So what are mutations? Mutations are errors that can occur when our DNA is being copied. And mutations are not good. They're responsible for thousands of inherited diseases and cancer. So if we inherit 100 new mutations every generation, as well as the existing mutations already present in our family line, we're not improving. We're going downhill quite rapidly. The modern discovery of genetic entropy that we are carrying an ever-increasing number of mutations is exactly the opposite of the evolutionary story but aligns perfectly with the Bible which tells us that our genetic golden age was in the past, at the beginning. We're now degrading or going downhill. And we see this as the number of mutations increases in each successive generation. So if you're a fan of shows like X-Men, I'm sorry to have to break it to you. Mutations don't give us superpowers. <laughs> they give us diseases. This is also powerful evidence for the shorter biblical time frame because at the rate mutations are increasing in us, the human race would have become extinct many times over if we had, in fact, been around for a million years. Evolutionary geneticist Alexei Kondrashov asked, why aren't we dead a hundred times over? This overall downward trend is also strongly supported by the second law of thermodynamics. If you want to know more about that one, have a look on creation.com or ask at the resource table afterwards. Next, we'll have a look at natural selection. Now, the Bible tells us in Genesis 1 that God created all living things able to reproduce only within their own kind. The biological law of heredity aligns beautifully with this but we do see change in living things. How does that work? Is that evolution? Well, natural selection is real. 
But as the name suggests, all it can do is select from the genetic information that's already available. <coughs> it can't add new information to give new organs, new limbs, new functionality. And in some cases, genetic information may be permanently deleted from a population. Let me explain. Suppose we start off with an isolated population of dogs with the genes for short and long hair. You'll note the biologically accurate depiction of a hairy gene and a non-hairy gene on the chest of each dog. The letters S and L stand for short and long hair. Now the two parents shown, who have somehow developed the ability to walk upright, carry the genes for both short and long hair. And they can potentially produce a variety of offspring with short, medium, and long hair. Now, suppose an ice age occurs. The short and medium-haired dogs may die out completely and only the long-haired dogs survive. The key here is that the surviving long-haired dogs only carry the genetic information for long hair and can only produce offspring with long hair. This is natural selection in action. But note two things. Firstly, the dog population has changed, but they're still dogs. They haven't changed into anything else, and they never will. Secondly, there has been a loss of information. We have lost the genetic information for short and medium-haired dogs in this population. So natural selection is real. It was actually discovered by creationists before Darwin, but it doesn't help with increasing complexity. It reduces information content rather than increasing it. It explains the survival of the fittest, but not the arrival of the fittest. It's a culling force. It's not a creative force. So we've had a quick look at fossil, fossils, mutations, and natural selection. There is so much more evidence available in all the scientific disciplines that supports the Bible's history. As I said before, if you want to see lots more evidence like this supporting the creation account, check out the resource tables afterwards. Or go to creation.com. You'd be amazed at the wealth of information available there. I hope you're beginning to see that armed with a bit of information, a few key concepts, it's very easy to present a strong case for the truth of the biblical account. Now, I know that at this point, some people are torn between the two histories. Remember the story about the little girl being confused by two very different stories of origins. This really is a position that many Christians find themselves in. They hold dear to the Bible as a message from God, but they've also heard it stated so confidently so many times by so many well-qualified people that evolution is an unquestionable scientific fact. They find it hard just to disregard or ignore that option. If you're in that position, I don't judge you. In fact, I have some sympathy because I've been there. Many in the church have. Even many of the staff and scientists who work for Creation Ministries held that position when they first became Christians. So if that's you, what do you do? I want to suggest to you that you have three choices. One option is to segregate your life into different compartments where you apply one worldview in a church setting and a different worldview outside of the church. However, this approach causes internal stress as we try to be different people in different environments. It's ultimately unsatisfying and confusing. Another option is to try to combine the two histories and find some middle ground, find a way to make them both work. Many have tried this, but no one has succeeded without adding confusion and doing damage to critical doctrines 
in the Bible. Some try to stretch the six days of Genesis into millions of years to accommodate evolution, but every attempt to combine the two histories ends up as a combination of bad science and bad theology. The two histories are completely incompatible. Let me explain this a little bit because it's a really important point. Remember what I said earlier about the two histories being very different with respect to the time frames. A universe 6,000 years old versus 14 billion years old. Six days versus millions of years for all life to develop. The numbers are not even close. Now some try to fit millions of years into the Genesis account, but nothing in the language of Genesis suggests or even allows that interpretation. People make the point that the Bible contains many varied writing styles. There's poetry, songs, symbolic, letters, prophecy. That's true. But the writing style of the early chapters of Genesis is very clearly literal narrative or history. So distorting the time frame doesn't work. Another significant difference is the sequence of events. There are two main aspects to this. Firstly, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 that the first appearance of death is only after Adam and Eve rebel against God. Prior to that, there is no death, sickness, or disease, a world that is totally good. In the evolutionary version, however, death and suffering are there from the very beginning, part of the creative process. Secondly, in the evolutionary version, mankind appears near the end of history, after billions of years of cosmological evolution and millions of years of biological evolution. In the biblical history, mankind is there near the beginning. A third issue with trying to combine the two versions is the damage done to major themes of the Bible. This is where we discover that this is not just an Old Testament issue. Take note here, this is going to be new for some of you. In trying to combine evolution and creation, we are in effect saying that Jesus was mistaken when he said, but at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female in Mark 10.6. Remember how in the evolutionary version, people only appear near the end of history Jesus said they were there at the beginning. The Apostle Paul must also have been in error when he said, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, in 1 Timothy 2.13. Even the linchpin of Christianity, Jesus' death and resurrection, no longer makes any sense if death wasn't the result of Adam's disobedience. The Bible is very clear that sin appeared and impacted all creation, the whole universe, because of the actions of one man, Adam. Romans 5.12 describes this. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. The Bible then describes a parallel process where the actions of one man, Jesus, who's described as the last Adam, was able to reverse the effects of sin on all mankind. Romans 5.18 says, Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life. For all people. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, it says, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. This makes no sense at all if there was death, disease, and suffering before Adam sinned. A further problem with trying to combine the two histories is that we have to accept that a supposedly good God used death and suffering as part of a creative process. What we find is that any attempt to combine the two histories forces us to accept that Jesus was in error in what he said and that his death on the cross was pointless. Now please 
Don't misunderstand me here. I'm not saying that accepting the biblical age of the earth is essential for people to be saved. But I really hope you can see that trying to combine the two versions inevitably results in confusion and distortion of key doctrines in the Bible. So again, the question, what do we do with these two opposing histories? Trying to split your life into two separate compartments doesn't work. Trying to combine the two versions doesn't work. The third option that I recommend is that you get informed. Investigate the claims of both and come to your own decision about which is, which is correct. And to do that, you need to be equipped. So back to Peter, who told us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks us to give the reason for the hope that we have in 1 Peter 3.15. And the flying analogy of being prepared and equipped ahead of time. This is the reason that the creation ministry speaker lug around lots of books and DVDs and magazines and pamphlets. It's so that you can do your own investigating, so that you can get equipped, so that you can hear the side of the story that you're not going to hear in most classrooms or in the Discovery Channel. It's so that you can hear from real scientists who have got real degrees from secular universities, scientists who have been involved in real research and who have found that the biblical history is by far the best fit in explaining our universe and everything in it. We're not selling resources to make money. We're a not-for-profit ministry. The primary aim of creation ministries is to help you get equipped with information and tools able to effectively defend God's word. If I could borrow from a colleague and put this in culinary terms, I would suggest to you that this talk is nothing more than an appetizer. The main meal is out on those tables in the cafe. Don't underestimate the impact that you can have by getting hold of good information and passing it on. It really isn't difficult, and there's a battle going on over the hearts and minds of our family and friends. So stop for a moment and think. Who in your world needs to hear this message? Who do you know that needs to be informed? Probably the most effective means to share this information is through Creation Magazine. I'm one of many who would say that this magazine has changed my life. It's a powerful resource that's issued four times a year. It's always visually stunning and includes information suitable for a wide age range. There's always a, a kids section. It carries no paid advertising, so it's completely full of useful information. And it's a great way to keep informed about the latest issues and discoveries. Creation Ministries receives many testimonies of the life-changing impact of this magazine. For example, a young scientist called Sonia had rejected Christianity, but a colleague both memorized and photocopied Creation Magazine articles and shared them for over two years. She says, the process was interesting in that once I realized that creation could have happened, thereby removing my evolutionary foundation and replacing it with the Creation Foundation, I then found it easy to accept the entire gospel message. By passing on a copy, or even subscribing to someone else, you could be instrumental in that kind of change in their life. How amazing would that be? Additionally, the hard copy subscription to Creation Magazine now includes the digital version, which you can access on up to five devices. No steak knives, sorry. <laughs> but wait, there is actually more. If you subscribe for one year, you get a free back issue 
and a three-year subscription will give you a free back issue and two sleeved DVDs. One is called Rapid Rocks and it gives lots of geological evidence for a global flood. The other is the Fallout DVD that I mentioned earlier about university and our young people leaving the church. This family magazine gives God the glory and gives you the answers to defend your faith and uphold the true history of the world found in the Bible. There's another sign-up sheet that's going to circulate now for those who wish to receive the Creation magazine. I really encourage you to do so if you don't already receive this amazing resource. Just fill out both parts of the sign-up sheet, tear off the stub, and take it to the resource table after the service to collect your freebies. I'm not exaggerating when I describe this magazine as life-changing. Many people continue to testify to that. Next, I'm going to highlight just a few of the other resources available. Creation Ministry's most popular book is the Creation Answers book. This carries the answers to more than 60 of the most asked questions about creation, evolution, and the book of Genesis. Questions like, who was Cain's wife? How did all the animals fit on the ark? How did bad things come about? How did all the different races arise? In my opinion, this is a must for every coffee table. It's great to have just sitting around as a handy resource. Virtually every question that will be raised in a forum like this has already been answered in the Creation Answers book. And pretty much any challenge thrown at you by a sceptic is covered in an understandable way. We also carry child-friendly books. The Please Nana series include Please Nana, Who is God? And Please Nana, What is Death? These deal with difficult concepts in a child-friendly style. Next, Refuting Evolution is a powerful book that deals with the main arguments for evolution used in schools and universities. Now, maybe you have concerns about young people struggling to do well at school in evolutionary topics if they learn about biblical creation. What we find is actually the opposite. One of our speakers reports, a couple of years ago, a young Facebook friend commented that he had been reading creation stuff for years and that it was a lot of fun. Matthew went on to say, I've actually found that I'm acing biology, specifically evolution, because I seem to know more about it than my teachers. <laughs> Matthew was excelling in his, in his studies because he understood the scientific concepts. I hope you can see that exposure to this information really works, and it's not hard to find. The biblical explanation has such power, not only to explain what we see around us, but as people see that it makes sense, they're drawn towards Jesus and salvation. And ultimately, that's what it's all about. There are many DVDs as well, covering topics like, why is there so much suffering if God created a very good world? Dinosaurs, an amazing witnessing tool in support of the Bible. Biology, one of the most exciting areas, and more and more as recent discoveries are supporting the Bible. Geology, the earth is covered with evidence for Noah's flood. Astronomy, and many more. Today is a great opportunity for you because these resources are not available in schools or libraries or even in many Christian bookshops. And finally, another reminder about the Creation Ministries website, creation.com. All of this has been produced so that you can get informed, equipped, excited about the truth of the Bible and able to confidently deal with any questions that come your way. I'm living proof that you don't need to be a scientist to get a good understanding of these issues. People like you and I can really impact our culture. So, to round it all off, I want to return to the three big questions we considered at the beginning. Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going next? Remember how our answers to questions two and three depend on how we answer question one. 
Well, if the Bible was correct in what it tells us about question one, that we were deliberately created by an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God, then it's only sensible that we look at questions two and three and consider what does the Bible say about them? Regarding the question, why am I here? The Bible, which is described as a love letter from God all the way through, tells us that God created us to be the recipients of his love. That we were designed to love him back, to know him intimately, and to live a life of purpose, fulfillment, and excitement. Regarding the question, where am I going next? The Bible also gives us a very clear answer. Remember how good the world was before the entry of death and suffering brought on by sin. God promises restoration to a similar state, but even better. The complete removal of all pain, suffering, disease and death in a place of intense joy and peace in his close presence forever. Sounds amazing, doesn't it? Again, remember how Adam and Eve had the choice of obeying God and remaining in a perfectly good paradise or rejecting him and experiencing the pain and suffering that were never intended for them. We all face that same choice today. Jesus, when he died on the cross, he reversed the effects of Adam's disobedience and he made a way, the only way, for us to be reunited with God now and into eternity. The Bible describes how sin entered the world due to the actions of one man, the first Adam. And also how sin and death were defeated completely by the actions of one man, the last Adam, Jesus. We can't earn our way into heaven by being good. We'll never be good enough. We need to respond to Jesus. If this is something you haven't done yet, I would really encourage you. Keep searching, keep asking, keep investigating, talk to any of the leaders here. Just don't do nothing. So to close, I want to suggest to you that the Bible is completely consistent with what we observe in the world around us. It is not opposed by science, and we can trust it with our lives. Returning again to the challenge in 1 Peter 3, to always be prepared. This is so easy for us today. There's a wealth of information available. I really encourage you. Take a look at the resources available here today and take something away that you can digest at your leisure. Just don't forget the last part of 1 Peter 3, which counsels us to talk to people with gentleness and respect. This is such an exciting era for Christians as more and more scientific discoveries are made that so powerfully support what God has said all along. So again, I encourage you, keep learning. Keep getting better prepared to answer the questions and challenges that will come your way. Don't be this guy. If this has whetted your appetite, I regularly run an eight-week course where we look at these issues and many others in a bit more depth, and I'll be available afterwards if there are issues or questions that you want to talk through. If you prefer, talk to church or, or your connect group leadership. Asking questions is a really healthy habit. Always be prepared. Thank you for listening. You made it. Yeah. <laughs>